0: And the Reds pitching just absolutely throttled this team. And the starting pitching was nothing short of spectacular. Mike Lee gave up one run on four hits. Johnny Cueto, two runs on four hits. Simon, one run on three hits. And then yesterday, Homer Bailey, no runs on three hits. That's your starting pitching. And they pitched a total of, uh, I think, 20, uh, 32 and a third innings. And... <laughs> Gave up four runs and 14 hits. And this is a team that was in first place. So just when you get that kind of pitching, you don't need a lot of offense. And and I'm not saying the Reds, you know, knocked the the fences down, but you don't need to score a lot of runs. They they scored 20 runs in a four-game series, so they got five runs a game. But the Giants only got one run a game. In fact, uh, because they played extra innings, they had – you know, less than that. So the Reds just uh, played great baseball. They fielded well, uh, great pitching and timely hitting. And the the unfortunate part is they got off to such a poor start that they're still six and a half games behind Milwaukee, but only five games back in the loss column. So a lot could happen between now and the All-Star break because the Reds play Milwaukee a three-game series at Great America Ballpark starting uh, uh, this this coming weekend. So uh, we could be here next week saying the Reds are in first place or the Reds could be out, uh, you know, eight or nine games. So uh, important week coming up. But unfortunately, I'm afraid the Indians didn't share in the Reds' success.
1: No, absolutely not. The Indians really have their problems. The pitching has hit the skids. The hitting has not been good, although – When you look at Saturday night's game, Mark, and you talked about Saturday night's game against the Giants before we went on the air for the Reds. Boy, when you look at that Josh Tomlin outing against the Seattle Mariners on Saturday night, he one-hit the Mariners, faced 28 batters, gave up a hit to begin the fifth inning, and then retired the next three and never gave up a walk or a hit after that. Just an outstanding performance by Josh Tomlin. And then the very next day, the Indians were one hit yesterday by King Felix. So I'll tell you what, they giveth and they taketh away, the baseball gods do, and they did both to the Indians this weekend.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, that lineup uh, Seattle has, uh, they've been playing good ball, and uh, they've, they've improved quite a bit over the year. But you look at that pitching staff, and boy, uh, you hate to face them in a short series. That, that That's a team that could cause a lot of people trouble. I don't care who they are. Uh, with that pitching staff. and uh, I saw that Tomlin did pitch a one-hitter, and I thought maybe that would ignite the Indians and maybe come back and win that series, but not to be.
1: No, it definitely wasn't. Of course, you can join us here on tonight's show on our Ask Us segment, which will be coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll be answering your questions. We do have some good ones here this evening, Mark, but other people can join in just by simply sending us an email to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at com. You can also send us a tweet at OHBBcohost. Mark, 43-38, and 38, the Reds' record, heading into tonight. I guess you might as well call this the pregame show. The Reds yeah. are in San Diego. The Indians are in Los Angeles. Both games are starting at around 10, 1030 tonight. So you might as well call this the pregame show, minus the managers' interviews, I guess, this evening.
0: Well, we know more than them man- anyway, right, right Dave? <laughs>
1: Well, uh as as you said, this is my time to eat a little crow. The Reds are 43 and 38. This is the first time this year that they've been 5 games above the 500 mark. But at the beginning of this month, Mark and I gave you our magic numbers for the month of June. Mark said that the Reds had to win 18 games in the month of June, in order to stay in this race. Well, this streak that the Reds have gone on, 6-1 and one on the week, they've won eight of their last ten, they've won five straight. Well, they now have a magic number of 18. They have hit it, and that's going into tonight's game, Mark, so they could conceivably win 19 games in the month of June, and that's a heck of a month.
0: That's yeah, a real good month, particularly coming off the, the months of May and April that they had, and a lot of people were uh, wringing their hands over this team. And, of course, they got off to such a tough start because of so many injuries. But if the the story of this team is to be written as a success, uh, I, I would venture to say that a lot of people are going to look back at that game played a week ago Saturday, which Mike Leak pitched against Toronto. And that was the game after... They have blown that eight to nothing lead the night before and one of the most heart wrenching losses of the year, uh, or any year for that to matter, to be at eight to nothing and lose the game. But the Reds came back the next night, they won eleven to one, Mike Leak pitched, I think, eight innings of, of just terrific baseball, and the Reds have only lost one other game since then. Uh, they lost the second game of the Cubs series. And uh, th- that that game, I think, was hugely important uh, for the morale of the team. They came back out, jumped up 8 to nothing again, and held on that time. But uh, they've been on a roll ever since. And sometimes, you know, a tough loss can have the same impact as a tough or a, a well-earned victory. I come from behind victory. Because players, they get mad. Like, how in the heck did we let that happen? And they come out, and it's a wake-up call. It brings everybody together, and I, I think uh, you know, Leak has been just great the last two or three times out. And uh, this, despite the fact that uh, the Reds are still, you know, bit by the injury bug. I mean, they Sean Marshall is out, and uh, Dave. I don't know if you've been watching closely, but Joey Votto, he's about one third of what he was. And it's nothing against him. I'm saying his. You can tell the way he swings. Power comes from your your back leg. He's left-handed, and that left leg of his is not—he's not getting any push on it. He's not driving off that thing, and as a result, he hasn't hit one home run since he's been back. And it, it's sad to see, but he's a hurting guy.
1: Well, you know, this happened two years ago. Same thing, Mark, where he came back late in September or beginning part of September after a knee surgery situation, and he couldn't generate much power either. Um, this is a thing that has been kind of his modus operandi over the past few years, Mark.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if it's a chronic. Now, this is a different injury. This is a quad injury, and I've had those quad injuries before. I don't know the extent of his knee injury. I've had quad injury, and the problem is you don't you don't have any – it doesn't hurt necessarily – you just don't have any strength in it, and you know you try to push off, and, and you have a little discomfort, but it's it's you just don't have any power, and you can't lift weights to strengthen it. So he's really, if you look at him now, he's choking up. Even early in the count, he's choking up two and three inches, and just trying to guide the ball to left field. And it's sad to see, but he does. You know, he, he's a force in the lineup. You got to give him credit for hanging in there, but. Uh, again, I've said it since the beginning of the year, I would hate to see this great pitching go to waste because of a lack of offense, but this team needs a left fielder, and they, I guess, are just not going to do it.
1: Well, I want to go over what the Reds have done numbers-wise in the last 18 games, Mark. As you said, they're averaging over five runs per ball game. They're also hitting over 279 in the last 18 games, and they had scored... Six runs or more in nine of those 18 games. And in June, the Reds have led the National League in hitting with a three twenty seven batting average with runners in scoring position. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but I mean, if you go back about two and a half weeks, the Reds won two out of three over Milwaukee, the first place team. They won two out of three over Toronto, the first place team in the American League East and they were the first team to ever sweep a four-game series over the, the Giants at their new AT&T ballpark. So over the past two and a half weeks, Mark, they've had two out of three against two first-place teams and a four-game sweep against another first-place team.
0: Yeah, and uh, did you count Toronto in that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and they beat the Cubs two out of three. So they, they I think they've won six series in a row, or or t- maybe tied one. Uh, they they split with the Dodgers too. So they've played tough teams, and they're prevailing over those tough teams. So that that's a that's a great sign. But I'm afraid with Joey Votto not being able to produce like you expect him to produce, uh, and and Ryan Ludwig, I mean he he's not the answer in left. And thank God we're getting great production out of. Uh, Todd Frazier and Billy Hamilton. Right now, Billy Hamilton is an odds-on favorite to win the Rookie of the Year. I don't think there's anybody close to him right now. Uh, he has been a great surprise. And the Reds just had that one extra bat, my, my suggestion would be, given the fact he's not hitting for power, move Joey Votto up to second, put Frazier at third, and have you know the, the new left fielder hit fourth, whoever that might be, with some pop. And now you've got with Bailey or with um, Jay Bruce and uh, uh, Devin Mesoraco has been killing the ball, uh, and even uh, Zach Cozart has been producing some big big hits and runs. So and, and Brandon Phillips, I mean that would be a, a very formidable lineup, even if Joey isn't hitting for power. You, you know he's he, he can get on base, and with Hamilton and Votto at the top of the lineup. All you need is one bat, Dave. I'm serious. If this team goes out and gets one bat, uh, they are going to, uh, I think they're going to win the division.
1: Well, and another thing, too, Mark, I mean, the Indians, we talked about the Reds' magic number, them hitting the 18 that you said that they needed to hit. I said the Indians needed to hit 16 in June. A week ago, I thought they were going to have a pretty good shot at it. This week, they went two and three, and they've only won three of their last seven, and I'll I'll tell you, Mark, this team is so much up and down. They, right now, I'm not sure if they're going to be a buyer or a seller at the trade deadline, which comes up at the end of July, which, by the way, is tomorrow. July 1st is tomorrow. This is the last day. The Indians have no shot at reaching what my magic number was. They're at 13 right now. They cannot make 16. The defense, somewhat, Mark, picked up this week, they only committed three errors in in the uh, five games that they played. Now, I guess for the Indians, that's a great accomplishment because they've been averaging one error a game throughout the entire season, and right now tonight is the mid-season point. They've got 81 games played, and they've committed 70 errors so far. You just can't win ball games that way.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting on that Giants series, the Reds, I think they committed two errors, but uh, they play great defense. They just they just don't give uh, they don't give a chance for the other team to 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 get anything going. The pitchers weren't walking anybody. There was no errors. Uh, the Giants made some stupid base running plays, uh, which certainly helped. But right now, the Reds I think are playing as solid a ball as anybody in baseball. And you know, getting back to this issue of the starting pitching, uh, I don't know if you saw in Sports Illustrated. But they rated that the Reds' double-A team in Pensacola had the best starting five rotation in minor league baseball. And mm. it, it gives you some indication of the depth that this team has. And, you know, they, they sent down um, the left-hander. Uh, name escapes me.
1: Singrani.
0: Sent, they sent down Singrani. Uh, but they still have these five kids in double-A ball that I think are ready, including Stevenson, who's ready to come up. And, of course, the big news was the Red signed Rocio Iglesias uh, to a seven-year contract. And in
1: relation to Julio?
0: <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, he's probably making more money than him now. Uh, but $27 bucks for a kid who's, what, 23 years old, 24 years old? But they believe that this this kid could be a starter. They think he can go to the bullpen. He's got there's a lot of options there. But when you have Iglesias and you have Singrani, and then you have five red starters in place now, and Stevenson and a couple others, um, Lorenzen. I mean, they've got some deep, deep, deep pitching. And one of those guys is going to rate, I think, a bat. And I think that that is just too smart to allow this great pitching to to be wasted this year. This team can win this year. I think they know that now. And if they go out and get another bat, I, I think they're going to be the best team in, in the certainly in the division, and maybe the National League.
1: Mark, I think you're wishing uh, for wishing upon a falling star. If you think Walt Jockety is going to make a trade before the deadline to bring in a bat. I agree with you. I think he needs to. But Walt Jocketty's history has been not to make a move at the trade deadline. Even when he was with St. Louis, he didn't do it. And I, I, unfortunately, I think you're sadly mistaken. I don't think he's going to make
0: a move. Well, I didn't say I thought he would. I said I thought he should and it's easy for me to spend Bob Castellini's money. But in this case, when you have an overabundance of talent in one area, and clearly the Reds are are gifted and have a lot of depth in their pitching, and I don't mean just minor league depth. They've got some guys, uh, and I didn't even mention what Simon's done this year. I mean, they've got a great rotation, and they've got great rotation in the minor leagues, and they signed Iglesias, and they have Singrani, and they have all these things going for them. It just makes no sense not to leverage those assets. And, and I I disagree with you. I mean, we we can bet another steak dinner. I think you owe me at least two or three steak dinners now.
1: Um, uh, I think it's the other way around.
0: Well, it was something like that.
1: <laughs>
0: um, anyway, I, I think he will do it because I don't think he's going to take a chance and miss out on what this team can do. Because I'll tell you what, you play the Reds in a short series, and you, <laughs> you're going to face some studs. Uh, and... You know, with Latos and Cueto, and Bailey looked unhittable yesterday. And that doesn't include Leek and Simon. Uh, so they've got some arms there, and I, I was very, very impressed with what they did this weekend. And it's interesting what Bruce Bochy said. I don't know if you saw it after the game. He said that four-game sweep of the Reds was the best starting pitching he had seen in a four-game series in his entire career. And I saw every ending of that of that series, and, and I'm telling you, the Giants didn't they didn't have a chance to score in many cases. They they, they just didn't have a chance because the Reds were so dominating. So uh, I came away from that series thinking that maybe I'm being a Pollyanna here that Jockerty uh, will do something. It's clear that Castellini is willing to spend the money. He's too smart a guy not to take advantage of this. So. We'll see. I, my, my, my prediction is he will do it, and my prediction is that they get the kind of bat that can protect Vado that uh, they have a chance to win this division.
1: Well, I, I certainly hope you're right. I think the Indians need to make a deal. I mean, if you look at the Indians' record right now, they're 39-42. and 42. Honestly, Mark, I don't know where some people come up with their math. People are complaining about Nick Swisher and the $15 million that he's making a year. He signed a four-year deal at $50 million. Now, to me, that's 12, $12 million a year. But all I hear out of the Cleveland media is that he's making $15 million a year. But nonetheless, he's not hitting the way he should. He's batting 193 right now, five homers, 25 RBIs, and there's a big hole in the Indians' lineup. So what do the Indians do, especially when they're on the West Coast, Mark? They can't play this guy at first base because they don't have the DH. They need to keep, right now, Carlos Santana's bat in the lineup. They need to keep Lonnie Chisenhall's bat in the lineup at third base. Um, We've got a question coming up on our Ask Us segment that I really want to delve into about what the Indians can do as far as as a trade is concerned, and I, I want to bring that up in our Ask Us segment because I've got some ideas on what they can do about that. But this team simply does not have enough. They win two, lose two. Win a game, lose two. Win a couple, lose another one. It's like a roller coaster ride with this team, and now they've got three games out in Los Angeles, and they've got to win two out of three against the Dodgers, which I don't think they can do. The Dodgers have been playing some good baseball as of late, and the Dodgers can thank the Reds for reeling the Giants back in, and now they're tied with the the Giants for first place in that Western division. I think that's going to be a dogfight throughout the rest of the summer also, Mark.
0: I agree, and I, I think the I'm rooting for the Indians this week more than normal because uh, I think this uh, wild card is going to be a real real slugfest all the way down to the end of the year, and it's not too early to begin looking at it. The Reds are only, I think, a game out uh, on, on the wild card side. And, but you've got Atlanta, you've got Los Angeles, San Francisco, St. Louis, uh, a lot of good teams, Pittsburgh. Uh, they're all vying for that, uh, that last wild card spot. And it's going to be really fun in September, I think, because every game is going to mean something. So these teams are, are gearing up. And part of the problem in making a trade now is that so many teams are still in it. Because the, the rec, no, nobody's run away and hide, you know they're hiding or anything. So you have teams in the middle, even the Phillies. They got they got swept this week. Uh, they're still they're only six and a half games out, uh, I think, on the wild card side. So they're still in the in the play. So who's going to make a deal? Uh, even if you want to go out and you have money to spend or you have somebody who can trade with you, uh, I'm trying to think of a bat, any bat that could help the Reds. And it's hard to do.
1: Yeah, there aren't there aren't many bats out there. This is a year where there are more pitchers that are going to be available on July thirty first than there are hitters. I I really believe that. When you know, even you know, David Price is probably going to be available from Tampa Bay, and I think he's going to bring the highest price of anybody.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, and uh, I, I don't know where people are going to look for. Uh, that power, unless you want to give up a, a starting pitcher. Like, I'm, I'm just throwing his name out because I can't think of another one, but let's say the Reds want to trade Mike Leake. What could you get for Mike Leake, a guy who won 14 games last year, is on pace to win 14 or 15 games this year. He's only in his 20s. I mean, that, that should get you a, a front-line, power-hitting something, a left fielder, third baseman, first baseman, whatever. But I can't think of one. That the Reds could go after, and he would help the team. And you know, I, I don't see a deal to be made anywhere out there. The team yeah. Maybe are, we're
1: asking the wrong question, Mark. It's not, you know, who who can use. It's not what can the Reds give up. It's who can they get.
0: Well, yeah, that's my that's my whole point. Is yeah. There, there's even if you have somebody like Mike Leake, who is a very he would be a great commodity for a lot of teams. But but who do you who do you go after?
1: It's, and I'm not sure the Dodgers right now want to give up on Matt Kemp.
0: I don't either, and not, they're playing well now. So they're and he's playing well in center field. He's not hitting great, but he's playing well. And unless you want to take a chance on something like Chase Utley, and put him at third base, move Frazier to left field, but then you're changing the entire dynamic of the infield. You're making big changes. I don't think that makes any sense. But only to think out, you know, outside the box. Where could you get a bat like Utley, and where do you put him if you get him? That's the other thing. If you if there's a power hitting somebody, but they're a third baseman or a first baseman, what are you going to do with them? So the Reds really, at this point, it's very clear their need. It's a left fielder. And look down the rosters, and I don't know who you get. I can't and, you know, we of...
1: talked we talked about it a little bit last week that San Diego has got a couple of guys and Sean Smith and Carlos Quentin, but in all realism, I don't think Sean Smith fits what the Reds need, and I don't think Carlos Quentin stays on the field long enough for anybody to take advantage of it.
0: But, you know, he's hitting 180 on a team that has a team batting average of 210. He can't even crack that lineup. So, what you know, what is he going to bring to the Reds? Uh, of value and wh- you certainly wouldn't give up a Mike league for a guy like that uh, he, he you know you might give up a minor league player for him but not not for not a starting right-hand pitcher who's what, 26 years old my gosh um, you know it's, it's likely Mike Leake's going to win 150 to 175 games for the Reds if he doesn't get hurt that, that's a valuable product there. now you might you might trade Simon, uh, but he's 30 what 33 years old. And he's having a great year. He, he just he just toyed with the Giants the other night. Uh, but again, what are you going to get for him? So
1: could you pry away Evan Longoria from Tampa Bay? We're going to put him third base,
0: and then move Frazier to left. Yeah, I mean that, that would be that'd make more sense because Longoria is a is a good defensive third baseman, and, and, Frazier, and he's
1: a right handed hitter.
0: He's a right handed hitter. Yeah, I mean that that would be great. But I think his contract's going to be too big. Uh, you know, he's probably, I'm, I don't know what he's making, but I bet it's 15, 18 million. He should be worth that. Uh, so again, it, it's why I am hoping that Walt does something. I can understand him looking at what's out there and saying, okay, we don't want to mess up the entire lineup, or our, we have the best defensive team in baseball. We don't want to screw that up. So what I need is a left fielder, and where do I go? Now, do you is market? there
1: anybody anybody on Colorado that sounds good for the Reds?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think there is in Colorado, and I think there is in Seattle. Uh, but I, I don't know them well. I don't know their contracts well enough, and, and obviously Walt does. <clears> that those those kinds of things will be a big part of the equation, not just what they can do on the field, but the, the contracts that they have, which is understandable, but. Uh, I get as frustrated with any, as anybody when I see a glaring weakness in the team and I say, Oh, it's easy for me to say, yeah, go get a left fielder. But the reality is when you wake up in the morning and you're, you know, you're, <laughs> you had some sleep, you say, Well, yeah, but uh, I understand Walt's problem. You know, where do you go? What, what do you trade away? Uh, where do you put that person that you get? But I think the Reds, they have the ability to go after a really, really top minor league outfielder that they could put in a left field. And uh, that's where they may have an advantage over other teams. They could go get somebody's number one power hitting left fielder that I don't know about or maybe you don't know about. Uh, but it's amazing what speed can do. And if the Reds want to team up another speedster with uh with Billy Hamilton and give up a starting pitcher. And and by the way, Dave, I mean it's not as if the Reds have a choice. They have to give up one of those starting pitchers. You cannot keep that starting rotation intact. You're, you're not going to have enough money in the bank. And that doesn't include Sindrani and, and Iglesias and all these other guys that they have coming up. You just cannot keep Simon, Latos, Cueto, Leek and who my uh, who's the oh and Cueto you, you you know those guys it's, they're gonna be making too much money.
1: Is there it's, intention, Mark? Before we get into the ask us segment, do you feel that the Reds' intentions are to trade away Homer Bailey or trade away Latos and/or Cueto?
0: I don't know. I don't know. And uh, Simon's having a great year, but. You know, can you depend on him beyond this year? I don't know. This is the first year he's had the kind of start he's had. Uh, He's got under a three ERA now, and um, but I I don't know you can depend on him. But with Cueto, Latos, Bailey, and Leak, you've got four guys who are probably going to be making twenty million dollars a year within two years. That's eighty million dollars for your pitching staff. That does not include Chapman. And, and that doesn't include um, who's the who's the Otto, Bruce? That's right, Phillips. All these guys. I mean, their their payroll and Jonathan Broxton. I mean, he's making seven million dollars a year. And he's having a fanta- He's having a better year than Chapman. So how can you not make a deal? You you have to make a deal at some point. It's just a matter of when do you do it.
1: I I totally agree. I just don't think Walt Jackety will do anything. And if he does do something, Mark, it's going to be so minuscule, it will have absolutely no effect on the outcome of the Red season. Hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment right now where you send in your questions to us and we talk about anything in Major League Baseball, but more importantly, the Reds and the Indians. So let's move into our Ask Us segment, Mark. And our first question tonight has to deal with the trades that we were just talking about. Rowdy Reds fan writes in, any trades you guys want to see each team make before the deadline? You've pretty much answered that question. Not so much what kind of you know what kind of trade or who they can get, but that you'd like to see the Reds make a trade for a left fielder. Anything else that you think the Reds need to be looking out for on the trade horizon?
0: Well, I think you could use a left-handed pitcher uh, out of the bullpen uh, since Sean Marshall's done for the year. And all you have is Manny Parra down there in, in middle of relief, along with Chapman. So, yeah, I think a left-handed uh, bullpen specialist would be good. They, they did sign somebody, uh, an Australian kid, a left-hander. Uh, and his name escapes me, but they signed him Saturday. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the answer long-term, but we'll, we'll see.
1: Well, you and I discussed last week the San Diego situation and how nobody seems to know what's going to be going on with the Padres. But I'll tell you what, there's a guy on that team that I would love to have, and that's Chase Headley. Now, I don't know what the Padres, considering they have basically no GM running the ship right now. You don't know what direction they're going to go. You would think that they're going to be sellers, but again, you have no idea what they're looking for or what they want. But I would think they would be willing to give up Chase Headley. I want somebody, Mark, that I can put into the cleanup spot in the batting order The Indians have a penchant for wanting switch hitters. Chase Hedley's a switch hitter. You take Lonnie Chisenhall, with his great but erratic throwing arm at third base and move him to right field and let him concentrate on doing nothing but hitting the baseball. Don't worry about your defense anymore. You're no longer a third baseman. You're a right fielder. You put Hedley at third base. You've got Santana at first base. And if they have to give up as Drupal Cabrera, so be it. I don't care. You, I, you know, you and I discussed that a couple of weeks ago. I'd like to see Cabrera be traded and Lindor be brought up. But if you do that, you have got a batting order mark of Bourne, who's playing well, batting first. You've got Kipnis that you can put number two in the batting order, moving back up. Brantley who's probably going to be an American League All-Star, batting third. Headley fourth. Santana in the spot where he should be. Number five, not cleanup. Then you've got Chisholm batting sixth. You've got Swisher at DH batting seventh. You've got uh, your catcher, Jan Gomes, batting eighth. And Lindor batting ninth. And you've got Speed in that nine and one spot of the batting order. And you've got great defensive shortstop. You've got a good defensive third baseman in Hedley. I think that's the type of trade that the Indians should make, and it could catapult them into that wild-card spot. But if they stand pat again, Mark, I don't think this team has got enough to make the playoffs this year.
0: Well, my only issue with that is that Chase Headley, number one, he's hitting two oh four. Last year he hit 250. Uh, his high has been two hundred eighty nine and he, he, he had one good year in 2012. We drove in 115 runs. I don't see a trend there that I would give up a lot for at this point. Uh, his his numbers, I mean, his, his on-base percentage is only like 293. He's not even walking. Yeah,
1: I, 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 my feeling is he needs to change his scenery. Well, that, I, it, That's my gut feeling on him.
0: What I read today was that Toronto was interested in him, and I don't know why the heck Toronto needs another bat, if that's why they're... Uh, <laughs> going after him, but uh, he's a good defensive player. But uh, for the Reds, I don't think he's the answer, but I I can see for the Indians, but I'd be real concerned that the league has figured him out at this point. And, um, you know, he's got some power for sure, but he's only hit, what, uh, six home runs this year. So I I don't know. I think he's a risk, and he's probably some kind of reclamation project now. Uh, But if you give up something, I'd be careful what you give up.
1: Well, that's what the Indians do best are reclamation projects. They, The only time they've ever brought in anybody in that it was worth a darn was Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne, and one has panned out and the other one hasn't so far. Although, you know, I have always been one mark that on the Nick Swisher thing, I've always compared him to Travis Hafner, that you were paying Travis Hafner $12 million a year, same salary that Nick Swisher is getting now with the Indians, And quite honestly, you're getting more production, not this year, obviously, but you did a year ago, out of Nick Swisher than you did Travis Hafner. That's just what I've always compared it to. You know that. And it's just the type of thing that I I think the Indians, this is just one of those lost seasons, I think, for Nick Swisher. And you see a lot of ballplayers do that. They go through a lost season like this.
0: Well, it's more disturbing, though, when you reach his age. And it's always, well, is this the beginning of the end? And sometimes that beginning of the end comes quicker for some players than others. And you look at Chase Headley, and you and you begin to question. Now, in, in three consecutive years, he's declined precipitously. Has the league figured him out? And that's where you get into a guy who is on the decline at an early. Headley's only 30 years old, so you'd like to believe he's going to, you know, snap back and figure this out. But you know, other players have not figured it out, and. You know, they're out of the league by the time they're 32, 33 years old.
1: Well, another player I think that might be on the trading block for the Indians will be Justin Masterson. Uh, He is going to start tomorrow night's game. He's coming off a right knee injury in which they decided that they were going to uh, skip a start with him. And they brought up T.J. House yesterday to kind of be the sacrificial lamb against King Felix Hernandez in Seattle. But although, you know, i got to say something about T.J. House. He's done a good job whenever the Indians have brought him up. He just has been the recipient of absolutely no offense, just like the rest of the pitchers have this year. But Masterson, I think, Mark, is going to be somebody, I think Greg called it correctly early in the year, that maybe the Indians, the reason they did not sign him is because they wanted to see how the season was going to go and see what kind of a bargaining chip he would bring back with this ball club at the trade deadline. Right well, now, I don't think he's going to get. He's going to bring back too much.
0: No, I disagree. I, I, I think he's. I, I think he bring quite a bit. He, he's too solid of a of a guy. He's he's got a good he's got a good delivery. He doesn't look like a guy who's going to get hurt a lot. He, he's getting stronger. He, he reminds me of a little bit of. Um, um, Nolan Ryan, uh, his his delivery, not his power or his speed, but he's got that big body, strong, wide shoulders, and. and uh, I, I like that kind of pitcher, and I think that's what Homer Bailey is going to morph into. But uh, I think Master, Masterson would bring you a lot.
1: Here's another question, which I think is apropos for tonight. Peppy Patty asked us a question here this evening. Um, this will be the first time that Chris Perez has faced the Indians as a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. What do you expect? In the words of Mr. T for in the movie Rocky Three. Pain. I think Chris Perez, if he comes into the ball game, I don't think he did himself any favors with his teammates. And if the Indians need any sort of an incentive to get their offense going when Chris Perez comes in in one of these three games, and he will, uh, I would would not be surprised to see Chris Perez get banged around. I've watched him pitch a couple of times this year, Mark. Uh, He seems to have lost about Three or four miles per hour off of his fastball
0: well he's uh he's one of those guys who declined very quickly and um if you if you look back at what he did over the last two or three years it, it, he's had a diminishing impact and the guy i don't you, you've seen him a lot more than I have uh he just looks like he's out of shape, and you know maybe there's there's an the old saying a guy ate himself out of the league <laughs> uh, but that that happens, and he he's not nearly in the kind of shape that you, you look at. Uh, Chapman, I mean, Chapman looks like a professional football player. Guy is so ripped, and all the Reds players, the pitching staff, look like athletes, and this guy doesn't look like an athlete. So um, that has something to do with it, without question. But well, just,
1: just just to answer that, Mark, I hate to interrupt, but just to answer that. Chris Perez was asked earlier today, uh, what does he miss about Cleveland? His comment was, nothing, except for maybe Lucky's Cafe in Tremont. I've been to Lucky's Cafe in Tremont, and if he has frequented Lucky's Cafe in Tremont as, as many times as he looks like he did, <laughs> he's been there an awful lot.
0: <laughs> well. Uh, I don't think the Indians are, you know, going to be hurt by him. That's for sure. And I was surprised the Dodgers signed him. And I doubt he's going to get much action. The Dodgers are playing great ball right now too. And that's the team that scares me more than the other team. That that team could run off and go out and win 18 out of 22 games or something like that. They they have the pitching. They have the hitting. Uh, they got speed. That, that's a really good team. I think they're much better than the Giants. I
1: I agree with you. Yeah, I I think the only thing that maybe the Giants have better than the Dodgers right now is a defensive ball club. I think they're a very good defensive ball club. But as far as the hitting and pitching, um, I don't think there's any doubt as to who's the better ball club. ASJ Online asks you, Mark, and I think this is a pretty good question. What is the difference in Dusty Baker and Brian Price's managerial styles?
0: That's, that is a good question and I've always maintained having played with a lot of different managers and some former major league managers that baseball is a simple game. There, there's not very much variation or options that a manager has to make him a brilliant uh, bench coach as a, compared to somebody else. All those guys are smart. They've been around for a long time. They know when to sacrifice. They know when to hit and run and if if, if they disagree then it's It's just a matter of opinion. Where I think Brian Price is taking the Reds is in a much more cerebral approach. He brought in some really good coaches, and Don Long is working with the hitters now. It's finally sinking in, and he is growing, I think, a, a team that believes in him intellectually. They respect him. Not that they didn't respect Dusty, but they respected Dusty in a different way. Dusty was a former star player. Uh, everybody liked Dusty. He liked them. And if anything, I think Dusty was too close to his players. And he wasn't able to, to play, you know, to be tough. And from what I hear, Brian Price is, is, is very much of a gentleman, but he will get in their face. And But he, he didn't panic when the team was playing poorly. And he, he doesn't get overexcited when they win. And uh, I think he's the right guy. I really do. And he's a pitching coach, which is one reason why this team is pitching so well. But I think, to answer the question of ASJ, I think that Brian Price is what I would call a new-age manager, maybe like Bud Black of uh, San Diego, that kind of educated guy who, who really is a cerebral guy, pretty smart Compared to a Dusty Baker, who was more of a seat of his pants former player guy uh, that went by his gut a lot, and I don't—they're—they're I, they're both good managers. I think it's just a different time, and I think Dusty's time passed, and now it's time for Brian Price.
1: Do you think Dusty will ever get another managerial job, or do you think it's just that's it? He's done.
0: Um. M- Give me a year from now, i probably answer that with an affirmative no, I don't think he'll get a job. Uh, This is his first year out. You may have some teams that, you know, like a young team that's going poorly now is going to be out of it the second half, and they might bring in a Dusty Baker to kind of calm the waters and do some teaching and uh, train another manager. You know, he might get another two-, three-year gig. Uh, but, if, if, you know, if he's out of baseball all of this year and certainly all of next year, then then I think he's done.
1: Okay. Final question tonight. Wimpy Wally asks me, will Michael Brantley and Jan Gomes make the all-star team? Well, I know Terry Francona is really pushing for Jan Gomes to make the all-star team. And and I started looking at Gomes' stats, and I found that they were fairly interesting. Right now he's batting two sixty-seven with 9 homers, 19 extra base hits, 28 RBIs, and a 732 OPS through 69 games. That doesn't sound very good, but among American League catchers with at least 200 at-bats, Gomes ranks 2nd in homers, 3rd in slugging percentage and OPS, and 4th in batting average. Matt Wieters right now, Mark, is the leader in the American League voting for the all-star catcher. But he's out. He's gone for the year. Uh, he's undergone rotator cuff surgery, and there's a big question mark as to whether Weeters will really ever catch again. He may be a permanent DH. I think Jan Gomes is one of the up-and-comers in Major League Baseball at the catching position. Does he deserve an all-star shot this year? Probably not. He's probably about a year away. As far as Brantley is concerned, Mark, I, I don't think there's a doubt that Michael Brantley deserves an all-star nod this year. He has just been too good. 3.25, leading the Indians in home runs, leading the Indians in RBIs with 55. He has had an outstanding year, and he's second in the American League outfielders as far as assists are concerned, which is a heck of a stat considering how poor the Indians have played defense so far this season. So to answer your question, Wally, I think Brantley will. I don't think Gomes will.
0: Do you think the Indians would would trade either Bourne or Brantley, because they either wanted to fit well into left field for the Reds?
1: I think they would be more apt to trade Michael Bourne than they would Michael Brantley. That that is just my gut feeling. I, I think they they see Brantley and Gomes as two guys that they're building this team around. They're only twenty six, so I mean you're you're looking at a couple of players right now that are up and coming. Answer your question. Bourne, yes. Brantley, probably not.
0: Yeah, Bourne seems to, he, he was never a big power hitter, but he's only got, what, two home runs this year, I think? Right. So, um, if I recall, he hit 12 or 15 home runs a couple of years ago, I think for Atlanta. I don't know if he did that last year with the Indians or the last two years, but uh, he, he he's intriguing because he makes contact and he's got great speed. Again, I keep looking at that number two spot and having somebody behind uh, Hamilton who can pull the ball to the right side because Hamilton's going to steal 80 bases this year.
1: Yeah, I think he would be a good uh, good one to put into that position for the Reds. I think he'd be an outstanding left fielder. Um, His arm is not that great, although if you put him in left field, I think it would increase the... uh, effectiveness of his arm, probably a lot. Um, But as far as batting him number two, yeah, I think he'd be able to do it because this is a kid that can bunt. uh, He can hit and run. He doesn't strike out a lot. He he strikes out probably more than you'd want a leadoff man to strike out. But at a number two spot in the batting order, I don't think he strikes out that much. So, uh, yeah, I would say that the Indians would probably be more apt to trade Michael Brantley, especially if they can get somebody back that they feel can play the center field position.
0: Well, you can't have Hamilton.
1: Well, that's true. Hey, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment. Don't forget you can join us next week on Ask Us, just simply by emailing us your questions at Us or dmitch at com. Mark... I want to get into this. We've got about 10 minutes to go on tonight's show, and I, I really want to get into this. We've discussed this a little bit, but a Native American group called People Not Mascots is planning to file a federal lawsuit late in July against the Cleveland Indians for $9 billion in damages. $9 billion with a B. Now, according to this, Robert Roche, the group's leader, told CBS News Cleveland affiliate, we're basing it on 100 years of disparity, racism, exploitation, and profiteering. Roach said that the lawsuit that his group is filing will target the team's name, logo, and mascot. And he adds this, it's been offensive since day one, says Roach. We are not mascots. My children are not mascots. We are people. Okay, before I get your opinion, I've got to say this. Where does this stop, Mark? I mean, seriously. And I'm only going to bring up baseball teams. If you take Mr. Roach's comments right here and take them as having a valid undertone to them, all right, a valid argument, then who's to say that a set of Twins Couldn't call up the Minnesota Twins and file a $9 billion lawsuit against them saying, I don't like my twin. I don't like being associated with twins. I don't want my name being affiliated with a Major League Baseball team. We are not twins. My children are not twins. We are people. Secondly, what about the Texas Rangers? Let's say somebody is upset because uh, Chuck Norris didn't portray the Texas Rangers, Walker Texas Rangers, Uh, the way that they wanted them to. They could file a lawsuit against the Texas Rangers. How about the San Diego Padres? A bunch of Padres could now come out and throw a lawsuit against the San Diego Padres saying that since the Padres baseball team is selling beer, that's against their religious beliefs, and they don't want to be affiliated with something like that. That's obscene to them. Or even better yet, let me throw this one out to you. The Cincinnati Reds. Somebody could come out, Mark, I'm not trying to get political here, but the Tea Party could come out and say that the name Reds is communist, and it upsets them. And they, they want to sue the Reds to end their... Where does this stop, Mark?
0: Well, first of all, in 1955, that happened, believe it or not. that Remember the Red Scare in Congress in the late 40s, early 50s with, with McCarthy? Yes. They actually went after the Reds, saying that they were a subversive influence because they were the reds, and they started oh my. off the, i said this is true uh they started off being the red legs back in the the early days, and then they shortened it to the Cincinnati Reds and so they they wanted to go back to the red legs, so the Reds did go back officially to the Cincinnati red legs and that was in the in the late i think in the mid to late fifties, but nobody paid attention. Oh, they just became the Reds. But I thought you were going to say by the way with the Dodgers that anybody named Artful would would sue the Dodgers. <laughs> but no. Yeah, it
1: could go that it could go that way, Mark.
0: <laughs> well, it, it is it is at a point where why all of a sudden are these groups taking offense? The Washington Redskins have been around since what, 1928? Uh, I don't understand, is it the proliferation of attorneys that have brought this to everybody's attention? Or is there an an American Indian sitting in Arizona somewhere saying, wow, I feel so offended. I, I really feel offended what the Washington Redskins are doing. And by the way, somebody took my idea, I saw it on TV, that the the key to this thing is just changing the 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 photo of the mascot to a potato uh you know and maybe the Washington Redskins a redskin potato that gets you get of everything and and somebody said that they actually were going to consider doing that just to you know avoid the lawsuit and do it for for 6 months and sell a lot of um, memorabilia, and all that stuff. But that would certainly do it.
1: Well, yeah, it, it, it would, definitely. But, I mean, this guy's saying that it's been offensive since day one. How old is this guy? Because the Indians have been the Indians since 1920. So, I mean, is he, was he born in 1920? How does he know it was offensive on day one? That's the first question that, that I've got for him. Secondly, I know he's not a mascot. There's one mascot. That's Chief Wahoo. That's the Indian's mascot. Actually, if you want to even get further technical, the Indian's mascot is Slider. That that crazy thing that the guy runs around in, uh that I think is cute, kids love him. You know, my children are not mascots. No, of course your children are not mascots. But you know, Mark, I don't think I've ever brought this up. I spent three years out in Gillette, Wyoming. And there were a lot of Indian reservations around Gillette, Wyoming. And to be honest with you, do you know what those kids, do you know what the high priority was for those kids on Indian reservations? Chief Wahoo logo
0: caps. They love them. Well, this is clearly, I mean, most of this stuff, you you can make some argument that there's some kind of offense taken. But again, in this era of political correctness where everything is an issue, this stuff never came up ten years ago, hadn't come up for a hundred years, and now all of a sudden, because it, this this minuscule minority makes an issue of it, and nobody's trying to be offensive or insensitive. That's not the point. You think that the ownership of the Indians or the ownership of the Redskins thinks in even their wildest dreams? Yeah, we're going to keep that name because we really don't like African American or I mean. Uh, American Indians we just don't like them so we're going to use that name that's that's preposterous so I, I think what should happen is that these teams be grandfathered to keep the t- to keep the the name that they have and if other teams in the future come up with something that could be viewed insensitive that they be turned down for that name but you know it's it's just it's so litigious out there that the people sue people for anything and everything and that's the unfortunate part of it.
1: Well, and I agree. And I mentioned one when, when I was talking about this on my Thursday night show about the Redskins. You want to talk about the ridiculous to the sublime. And and where does this stop? Conceivably, I know this is crazy. I know it's off the wall mark. But the way things are going today, this could conceivably happen that after the, this form of Indian's these people that are upset, if they're successful in getting the Redskins' name and the Indians' name and maybe even the Braves' name eliminated, who's to say that their next target wouldn't be the Dallas Cowboys because it was the Cowboys years ago that helped place the Indians on the reservations? And that's offensive to me.
0: Yeah, I can't argue with it. I mean, it's, it's that preposterous. It could, it could go anyway. But at some point... Uh, until or unless an organization sued, is sued and loses, I don't think the Redskins are going to change their name. I don't. I, don't I, I agree. I don't think, and I think if Snyder stands up and says, go ahead, sue me. i got $2 billion in the bank. How hey, about it?
1: All right. We, we predicted. Let, let's move on from this as we're coming down to winding up the show tonight. Mark, last month, We did our magic numbers. Okay, I want to do the magic numbers since tomorrow is uh, July 1st. And, you know, technically today is the, you know, the 4th of July is always the midway point of the season. Actually, technically today is the midpoint of the season for, for both ball clubs. So, Mark, I'm going to ask you, the Reds have 26 games in July. Of those 26 games that they have scheduled, how many do they have to win to stay in this race?
0: Uh, Because it's uh, fewer games than they had in June uh, because of the All-Star break. I'm going to say 17.
1: All right, so you're picking that they they needed 18 in June, so you're saying 17 in the month of July. The Indians have 25 games in July. I am going to say that they need to win 14 of those. That's my magic number
0: for the Indians. Do you really think 14 is going to get them back in the race, though?
1: Um, I think Kansas City is going to fall back. I'm looking at the wild card. I don't think they can catch Detroit. I think Detroit has probably had their slump for the year, and they're going to start playing some consistent baseball. Well, the prob- that, That's my gut feeling.
0: You know, With the July schedule, and not the problem, the, the situation is that I say 17, uh, but it really depends on who it is they beat and you know they could if they lose four or five six games to Milwaukee it's going to be awfully tough for them you know to to do anything but if they if they sweep those team teams like they did the giants which they have a opportunity to do uh then you know 17 or even 16 might be enough to keep them in it so um the it really depends on who you beat and when you beat them
1: i agree mark what do the reds have coming up this week
0: well, they got San Diego Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They're off Thursday, and then they play Milwaukee. So the Brewers will be coming into Cincinnati, and they're going to face Simon Bailey and Latos. So they're going to have their hands full. I would, you know, at this point, if I was any team in baseball, I don't know who you'd want to face on that Red Staff.
1: <laughs> well, I can tell you one thing: the Indians are lucky out against the Dodgers. They don't have to face Clayton Kershaw.
0: Yeah, but they the Dodgers have some stuff behind Kershaw, too. Dodgers are tough.
1: Oh, they are. They are. They're facing uh, Beckett tonight against Kluber. Nonetheless, the Indians, they've got the Dodgers tonight. That's going to first pitch in just about ten minutes here. Dodgers tonight, tomorrow night, Wednesday afternoon. Thursday is a getaway day. And then it's Kansas City on July 4th throughout the entire weekend. So the Indians really need to pick up some steam I think, Mark, this, this coming weekend. Any big plans for the 4th of July this Friday, Mark?
0: No, I'm just going to probably play golf and uh, run. That, that that would be a nice, uh, a nice weekend.
1: <laughs> I am going to grill out. That is my plan for the 4th of July, and enjoy the fireworks. So enjoy your 4th of July, everybody. That's coming up this Friday. Mark, have a good 4th, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week.
0: All right, David. Take care.
1: That's going to do it for our show tonight. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer. Our thanks to you who wrote in for our Ask Us segment. And, of course, most of all, to you for listening. Don't forget Thursday night, our Ultimate Sports Talk show at 7 o'clock this Thursday night here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Mark and I will be back next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show. That's going to do it for us tonight. Our thanks to you for listening. Until next Monday night, I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Good night, everybody.